raise your hand if you were here Wednesday night. All right, for the majority, okay. Those of you who are visiting or may not, may not be able to make it, we made a very visual representation of the first four spring feasts uh, that God commanded the nation of Israel to have. I'm going to stand in their places if you guys could shout them out. Ready? First, Passover. Unleavened bread. First fruits. Seven weeks later. Here's Bob. Very good. <laughs> you gotta say it with a guttural. Bach, bach. That's Hebrew. So we had those four feasts. Uh, now, kind of symbolizing through them. Uh, during Passover, blood was shed to what? That's just from, from sin to, to free us. Next one, unleavened bread re represented. Sin. Removal of sin, getting it out of your house. Thirdly, was first fruits. Hope in the resurrection. Yes. That, that is the end goal. That was the reason that Paul preached what he did. It was his hope in the resurrection. And the fourth one at the very end was Pentecost, which was power to be a proper representative of God's people. All four of those are interconnected. When you start the first, you're looking through like a, a, a site, and all of them have to line up and be together. Now, in a more practical, like how, how do these feasts apply to us today? Well, in one regard, we look at them as still something holy, still something blessed, as a means of giving life, because they are the very elements that Jesus fulfilled. Now, we always talk about in, in our church the Greek word telos, and the telos is the end or completion of. So, just because my dog has a tail does not negate the remaining other three quarters of my dog. It is the completion of my dog. So, Jesus is the telos of the law. It's exactly what John says. He is the completion or fulfillment of it, not the replacement of it. He is the fulfillment of it. So, on a more practical level of seeing... What happens to us when we're born again, when we are removing sin, the old Egypt in our life, and on looking on to having the yeast, the leaven, that's the kingdom of God, the new bread, that's the coming to our life. And then by doing so, we put our hope in the resurrection, and then receiving his spirit as our comforter, as our counselor, to be a proper representation of who he is. Well, if there's a, a well, let me start off. Today's date is April 11th, 2010. Just, your, your brain just kind of fizzles out time-wise when you get up here. And it's going to be set apart for his use. Now, there's a term called sanctify. And a lot of times we hear it in church, and it's real flowery, flowery, and it's real. I'm hanging around Chloe too long. Wobble <laughs> we eggs. <laughs> but it's a real ornate way of just saying something that's very simple and very common. Something that Jews were very accustomed to and very uh, aware of every single day of their life. Now, when you had Passover, ten days prior, you would set apart for your use a one-year-old male lamb, free of defect. And then the process of unleavened bread, you were setting apart for destruction... The old, the old leaven. It was still for your use, and the end use will be to be to uh, cleanse your house of sin. But it's finding that old leaven and setting, up, setting it apart to be burned in fire. Then Jesus is the first fruits from among the dead. He himself is set apart from all other, from all other mankind as the first to come out of the ground, but also set apart for mankind, so that our hope is in His resurrection. Lastly, his spirit is in us and on us, however you want to have the prepositions define you. But we have partaken of his spirit, his outpouring, so that we can be identified and set apart for his use to everyone else in the world. Israel is a unique and strangely odd nation that God set apart at a certain time for his use. And the hope was that they were going to be the centerpiece 
that all other Gentile nations looked on and said, that is the true God. That's the way to follow God. The gods I follow are false in comparison to this one. This is the greater God. And all four of these processes had to be at work in Israel in order for that representation to take place. So let's go back to the, the let's go uh, retro here. If I'm trying to let God's spirit move through me and sanctify me, set me apart as his own people, but I will not let his blood cover me, I will not get rid of my sin, and I will not put my hope in his resurrection, his spirit will not fellowship with me. The other four have to be in place. No one of these parts can be left out. They're all intertwined. And if you remove a part of my body, it is no longer a part of my body. It will decay. It will die outside of it. The same interconnectivity exists within the feast. So the word sanctify means to set apart. Now, Older Testament uh, was written in what language? Hebrew. Hebrew. Not Hebrews. Like Hebrews. Anyway, Hebrew. The Newer Testament, the best records we have, go back to what language? Greek. However, for the majority, who were the authors? What, what ethnic race were they? Hebrews. Hebrews. What audience were they writing to? Hebrews. And the predominant members of the synagogue and churches were Hebrews. Hebrews. So, somewhat of deductive reasoning, what language would they be communicating to each other in? Hebrew. Hebrew. So that there's Hebrew thought in the New Testament, even though it shows up as Greek. I love Greek. God bless you. Mandy. <laughs> but there's, there's, a, there's Hebrew thought in the New Testament. So when we begin to look in the New Testament and we see certain phrases like, a bell should go off, flag should go up, and say, ah, I've seen this before. This is part of Hebrew culture. So, y'all ready to get into the word? Yes. yes. We bring our Bibles to church. Let's go to Hebrews 9, verse 11. 9 1 1. There. 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 Say there. There. If you're not there, just say. Wait up. Okay. Alright, so we're in what book? Hebrews. Hebrews. Okay. Just want to remind you that. When Christ came as high priest of the good things that are already here, he went through the greater and more perfect tabernacle that is not man-made. That is to say, not part of this creation. He did not enter by means of blood, means of the blood of bulls, oh, I'm sorry, of goats and calves. But he entered the most holy place once for all by his own blood, having obtained eternal redemption. The blood of goats and bulls and the ashes of a heifer sprinkled on those who are ceremonially unclean, sanctify or set apart for use them so that they are outwardly clean. Now here's where the reality comes into play. How much more then will the blood of Christ, who through the eternal spirit offered himself unblemished to God, cleanse our consciences from acts that lead to death? Now, if we just stop right there, it would be really good stuff. But the Hebrew mindset is not theory related. It is function related. What is this bottle of water to do? Contain water. So that I can drink. There's a function to it. Whereas us Greeks, we will look at it and say, oh, that's uh, polymers compiled in a clear manner with another polymer as a wrap and analyze the details of it. But a Jew looks at something and sees the function. So where we stop from acts that lead to death, that's wonderful. Our, our way has been made into God's presence. But basically, this answers the question, why are you born Again, why have you partaken of the Passover lamb and the feast of unleavened bread, getting rid of sin, 
and hoping in the first fruits of that Jesus is resurrected and being identified by his spirit at work in you. Why? It's the very last verse. So that we may serve the living God. The fivefold ministry in Ephesians 5 is a symbol, meaning apostles, prophets, pastors, teachers, and evangelists. But they are in place within a church, or should be in place within a church, to prepare God's people for works of service. Now, in, in some regards, a lot of times, fivefold ministry is held as the pinnacle right next to Jesus of the place to be. No, I, I, I strongly deny that. Because it may be right for me to be in. And what you see a lot of times through Eric is God's anointing flowing through him to build you up. But what's right for him and the way that he carries out his walk with God is not the same identical pattern for each and every person in this room. It is supposed to be what God has directed you to. Now there is a phase of discipleship where there's training, there's a gaining of understanding. I do not take my three-year-old and send her out into a building downtown and say, go be an attorney because I'm an attorney. No, there has to be process of growth, of strengthening, of instruction. And we spiritually, it's very easy, easy for us to look at ourselves and say, oh, well, so-and-so is new in Jesus, so they are a babe in Christ. Those are very, very simple to identify. Or like at times when my wife encourages me, she said, you're acting like a babe. Christ, act like a baby. It's it's far and few between. Three times a week. But what gets harder, and you guys who have raised teenagers can identify with this, is when we spiritually become of age in a way, to where we can gain some responsibility, but we're not ready full for the full effect yet. Yes, I could balance a checkbook at 16 years old, but I, trust me, I was not ready to be on my own at 16 years old. I'm sure I could have done it, but I would have floundered and failed. What I needed was a type of a structured uh, mentorship that held my hand through the rough times, but also let me go so that I could experience the wind and waves of what the world would offer. How else is my one-year-old supposed to learn how to walk if I put them inside of a, a walker all the time? All they learn to do is depend on the support that's underneath them. But if I take them out, yes, we have tile floors. And yes, it makes my heart jump through my chest when I see her at first stumbling and it looks like she's about to eat tile. <laughs> but I have to let her experience that. And then you guys know when you have your first baby and they come out and the nurses are all wiping them down, I want to choke the nurse. What are you doing? They're, they're roughing them up. I mean, they're wiping them down, just you know, hanging about one leg and putting them on their light, warm up like a chicken or something like that. <laughs> but I realized by, by the eighth one that I had, <laughs> the fourth actually, that... They're pretty durable. In fact, there, there's, a, there's a, a nursing standard that's used called an ATGAR that they rate from zero to five based on the child's response for activity. They, they want to see them cry. They want to see them turn flush red. They want to see movement in certain motions. You know, the, the reflex that uh, they lift up their arms when they feel like they're falling. That's supposed to happen. So there has to be some level of unexpectancy and some level of fear before you when you're in that teenage, really from, from birth moving forward. But especially in that spiritual teenage years where it's no longer this warm fuzzy that's around you. And God's presence saying, okay, baby, it's going to be okay. Okay, okay. If I did that to David now, it would seem inappropriate. <laughs> would that make you feel good, Dave? <laughs> yeah, maybe <a> <laughs> Let me pour some chocolate on top. <laughs> no, it's, it's absolutely inappropriate. Same thing for somebody spiritually who's reaching that time period where they need to gain an opportunity to experience some things on their own, and it's not proper. It's not correct for somebody to hold their hand through it. 
Eric can't give you every single answer at all times. It's a blessing. It's a resource. So is a walker for my one-year-old. But it's not beneficial in the long run. Having the ability to look in the word by yourself and be able to hear from God and see his word jump off the page, strike you in the heart, and give you something real and tangible to hang on to when the next time you go through a trial is irreplaceable. That's something that man cannot give you. They can give you examples. I can tell you of testimonies of experiencing near-death type situations uh, when trying to do something for Jesus. Or healing, miraculous healings of cancer or pneumonia, whatever it is, on the edge of peril and death. We read them all the time. We have 66 books full of them. But is that the exact same as when you experience it? I can watch Mario fall on the ground and bust his lip. But I personally will not be able to relate to a lip that is pulsing and feel like it's touching the ground unless it happens to me personally. So same way spiritually, when you feel abandoned, when you feel like you're not set apart for God's use, you're not being sanctified, what's God doing? God's not doing anything for me. I'm blah, 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 blah. Step back and realize he's probably asking you to stand up and do something on your own. Walk a little bit. You pursue him instead of waiting to be pursued by him. I'm just going to come to church Sundays and Wednesdays and every now and then a Bible study in between. And that's, you know, that's three times a week. We eat three times a day, so that's, that's good. No, that, that will not work. Every single morning, seek his face. For the sole intent that, Lord, I want to be set apart. I want your sanctifying blood. I want your removal of sin, your hope in the first fruits, and your power, your spirit at work in me so that I can be prepared and set aside, ready, in season and for your use. If my dishes and utensils had voices... I'm sure like the ones that I have in the little, uh, what do you call it? It's the holder that you put all your utensils in it. It's uh, whatever. It's some, some name, I guess. But if I were to give them all voices and talk to them, I'm sure, and they were like us, they'd be elbowing each other. Why are you so close to me? You're always rubbing me with your spatula. <laughs> and when will the chef use me? Why do you always got to use the, the prodder or the potato masher? You know, once you cook something real so you can use the, the what is it, the three-hold spoon. <laughs> cook some green beans. <laughs> Please use me. But what you have to understand is that at all times you have to be prepared and ready for his use. I cannot use that utensil if it's not clean. I cannot use that utensil if it's fighting with other utensils inside of it and damaging itself. The handle gets bent or if the edges get uh, melted. It's of no longer use to me. So every single day when you seek through the word, when you seek through fellowship, when you seek to be closer to Jesus, what you're doing is you're preparing yourself to be set aside for his use. So that we may serve the living God. Amen. Uh, let's turn to John, chapter 17. In this chapter, Jesus is uh, praying. He's praying to the Father. And he's praying more specifically about the disciples. And he says, They are not of the world, even as I am not of it. Sanctify them by the truth. Your word is is truth. I'm sorry, 17 verse 16. There we go. So they are not of the world, even as I am not of it. Sanctify them by the truth. Your word is truth. So if this were a math equation, right? Sanctification equals truth. 
Sanctification equals His Word. So, how do you set yourself apart? What do you put inside of your mind and your heart? His Word. The first scripture that my girls ever learned, Psalms 119.11, I hide your word in my heart so I won't sin against you. More practical level. 13 years old. Got home from school. From 3 o'clock to about 5. Laid in the middle of the living room. Shoes and socks off. Uh, dirty plates, dirty dishes. Watching TV and halfway asleep. My mom walks in and... Uh, very kindly and very nicely. <laughs> very encouragingly uh, tells me, pick up your shoes, pick up the plates. I will never see this living room like this again. Amen. <laughs> <laughs> yes. That is in red. I saw it. It's written in red in your Bible. From that point forward, and granted, this was at least the 2,000th time I had heard that that month. So for some reason, that one event just clicked in my mind. And please forgive me, I finally got it. I re I literally, I told myself, I said, oh, she wants me to keep this place clean. <laughs> Amazing. Been doing this for 13 years, trying to get it in your brain. It finally stuck. So what would happen is, I'm, I'm dead serious. The next day, I walked into my living room or my mom's living room. And I looked on the ground, I saw my shoes, and it's like the, in a movie. I could name several, but in a movie where you have a little bubble that pops up, a little window, and you see somebody's face and their voice. Well, I saw my mom's face and I heard her voice going, Man, did you pick up those shoes? <laughs> her word was at work in my heart. I saw the shoes, I saw the face and the voice. <laughs> and I went and picked up the shoes and I put them up. Now, did she really fuss at me in that moment? No. But her word was now inside of my heart, and it kept me from disobeying what she had asked. In the same manner, how is it that you resist sin? How is it that you are able to fight through depression, fight through hurt feelings, and all kind of different things? Is that you don't run to the next greatest book on the shelf. And even in Christian bookstores, they may be great, but that shouldn't be the first place that you run. It shouldn't be to the phone or the text or the Facebook. You've got to add those two nowadays. And just be able to want to just, I want to just tell somebody how I'm feeling. Well, that's great. I'm glad you, know, you, you feel like you have those resources, but that's a last line of defense. Your first instinct would say, I need to get to Jesus, and that's either by worship or by word, or really both together. Because worshiping is an enactment of his word. Run to the throne and not the phone. So it's, it, guys, you know, we're not so good at expressing our emotions and how we feel. So usually we'll go out in the backyard and take a piece of metal and beat it to death. Yeah. And we're fixing something, right? I'm going to fix that lawnmower. <laughs> Kick it all to death. Guys are very you know, physical and, and reacting. Ladies, that's, that's more the line I'm going... I, I live in a house with five women, so I kind of lean towards what women have to deal with. Ladies, you're the ones that run to Facebook. You're the ones that run to the phone. You're the ones that want to tell somebody how you're feeling. And there is a time and a place for that, but don't let that be the first place you go to. Because it, it's, it's, it's like, you know, it's like a candy bar. It is great to taste initially, but two hours later, or maybe two months later, you feel horrible. It doesn't. It, it's sweet to the taste, but it's not good in the long run. If you run to Jesus first, yes, he wants to hear everything that's going on inside your brain. Guys, yes, he wants to hear everything that you're feeling inside, all your frustrations, all your fears, all your anxieties. Guys have them. They're just displayed outwardly in a different manner. So instead of going out to that lawnmower or that dog and kicking it, <laughs> or ladies, instead of going to Facebook, be set apart for his use. Because I can guarantee you, whether in ministry or not, it doesn't matter. Really, every single person in here 
has a ministry. And that's a ministry of, of kings and priests being example and mediator for God. Having the ministry of reconciliation. So regardless of e either one of those, how many times has the devil just hard-pressed to push that one button in you that makes your anger, makes your fear, make whatever weakness you have launch, and not two seconds later, somebody is in front of you, face-to-face, -face, calling you, Facebooking you, whatever, and they need your help. They really need counseling. It's an opportune time that God has been trying to orchestrate, and finally that person or that event is there. And yet you are caught up in your own emotion. You're caught up in your own uh, just selfish thinking. You have just taken yourself out of that holder of all the utensils and placed yourself in the dirty dish side of the sink. In order to come back and be ready for God's use, you need to be washed. Let's go to... Uh, let's go to Hebrews. Hebrews 4. As you guys are turning, some of you guys are taking notes. In that John 17, 16 scripture, the word sanctify is... Hagiazo. And once again, like we were talking earlier, the, look for a Jewish thought and try to relate it to a Jewish word. Well, there's a, a compilation of the Older Testament that was written, translated from Hebrew into Greek. It's called the Septuagint. And Sept means seven, or Septuagint means the 70. So 70 men got together and compiled this translation of Hebrew into Greek. And anytime you want to understand from the Newer Testament what Greek word would relate to a Hebrew word, that's the bridge between the two. So synonymously, hagiazo relates to an uh, Older Testament. If it's strong, that you want to write down, it's uh, 6942. And it's called kodas. A verb meaning to be set apart, to be holy, to show oneself holy, to be treated as holy, to consecrate, to dedicate, to be made holy, to behave, I like that one, to, uh, to dedicate oneself, or declares the act of setting apart. That's the part I liked. Is that when Jesus is saying, sanctify them by your truth, he is saying, set apart. Set them apart by your truth. As you sent me into the world, I have sent them into the world, for I set myself apart so that they too may be truly set apart for your use. In every single way, Jesus is calling us to imitate and find our fulfillment in our identities, of our identities, inside of his. No servant is greater than his master. Which means that when we're seeing Jesus' life and patterning ours after his, expect to be sanctified. Expect to be set, set apart, ready for his use. Hebrews 4, cha uh, chapter 4, verse 12. For the word of God is living and active. Hebrews 4, verse 12. Sharper than any double-edged sword. It penetrates even to dividing soul and spirit. Have you guys ever experienced that? Yes. Reading God's word or just a word that was quoted to you in a timely way that separated what your heart was thinking, what your mind was thinking, from what your spirit was saying and trying to tell you. So whenever you feel oppressed by whatever emotion, whenever you feel pushed to feel a certain way or think a certain thing, this is how his word gives you clarity. It is able to rise up and rightly divide right from wrong. And it's that very thing, that ability to divide right from wrong, 
That's what Adam and Eve decided to do on their own in the garden. Is that they wanted to decide for themselves what was right and what was wrong, rather than depending on God's word to do it for them. And hey, I'm guilty of this. I've begun to rush right into what I think is right, instead of just stopping, put on the brakes, and say, Jesus, what do you think? What do you say in your word? How is your spirit trying to magnify your word to apply to a certain situation? A very good basic example is how did Jesus defeat the uh, temptations from the devil in the desert? With the word. With the word. Now, did he quote paragraph upon paragraph? No. It's very short. It's very simple. But it is accurate. It is sharper than a double-edged sword penetrating. You know, I can take a thorn in my toe or in my finger. That's fine. But I don't think very many of us could take a size hole that a thorn would make in, my, in your heart. Your heart would begin to malfunction. You would eventually die. But what the Word is able to do is go to the heart of every single situation and just be able to do enough penetration to kill whatever the devil is trying to throw your way. It's able to rightly divide your emotions from truth. And that's hard. I'm not up here saying, hey, I'm the the greatest example of how to get it right. It is hard. Praise God, I I have a help me. I have a wife that says, "Uh, uh, uh-uh-uh. Your emotion's getting away from you. And and then two hours later, I look at her and say, "Uh, uh, uh." (laughs) uh-uh-uh. But the, the word is supposed to be living and active within you. If I do not have a certain tool in my tool belt, I am limiting myself to the amount of things I'm able to work on. You guys know uh, we, we don't have brand new cars just lining up in the parking lot. We work on our cars. And Adam is a wonderful blessing. But as a means of just carrying our own load, we decide to fix our own cars sometimes. The thing I find out is that the quality of mechanic is not just in the knowledge, but the uh, quality of tools that he has too. I spent like six hours trying to get this one little bolt that was way up somewhere in the engine. It took forever. We had to come back and do the same thing not long after. Adam goes in his toolbox, pop, 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 brings out all the tools in the air gun, <laughs> done. <laughs> oh, man! <coughs> Having the right tools will make your ability to be set apart for God so much easier. If Jesus has a certain word he wants to speak through any one of you, and he's trying to bring somebody your way, but you just aren't ready yet because you haven't been reading the word, you haven't been applying it to your heart, you're caught up in your own emotion emotion and frustration, well, guess what? He's going to find somebody else. I will prepare somebody else because this person needs to hear this word. But the, that's, that's, okay, that's the bad side. Here's the encouraging side. The minute you begin to soak your mind in the word and seek to be set apart for his use, ready and willing at his determination, Jesus will open up the floodgates of opportunities. And you will find he will send person after person after person your way. Or event, event to display his glory through you. It's not him that takes away the opportunities from you. You take yourself away from the opportunities. All right, let's go to uh, Isaiah 53. Starting verse 1. This is kind of a, a long narr- a long writing about qualities of Jesus. But if they apply to Jesus, who else do, do they apply to? Us. Us that are joined with Him. Who has believed our message? And to whom has the arm of the Lord been revealed? He grew up before Him like a tender shoot, like a dry root out of dry ground. 
God delivered us from Egypt going into Canaan, a dry and arid place where there is no life. I don't know about you, when Jesus delivered me, I had no life within me. He took me from a dry place. He had no beauty or majesty to attract us to him. Nothing in his appearance that we should desire. He was despised and rejected by men. As a believer, as a follower of Yeshua, don't find it surprising that if you're acting godly, to clarify with this, that you are despised and rejected. Now, if you're acting carnal, you deserve every single bit of it. But if you're acting godly and people hate you because of the spirit that's inside of you, that's perfectly normal. That's, it's wonderful. You're doing something right. Because what will eventually happen is that one or two things. Their hearts will either get soft and see that you are real, you love them anyway, or their hearts will get hard and God will begin to deal with them more severely. A man of sorrows and familiar with what? Familiar with suffering. Like one from whom men hide their faces, he was despised, and we esteemed him not. Surely he took up our infirmities and carried our... Does the, my, the question is through your mind. Does Jesus really want to hear me whine and complain? Does Jesus really want to know every little thing that's going on inside of me? Yes. He wants to carry your sorrows. Yet we considered him stricken by God, smitten by him, and afflicted. But he was pierced for our transgressions or our sins. He was crushed for our iniquities. The punishment that brought us peace was upon him. And by his wounds, by his bruising, by his beatings, we are healed. We all like sheep have gone astray. Each one of us has turned his own way. He was oppressed and afflicted. Yet he did not open his mouth. That alone is a characteristic that I think every single one of us would love to have mastery of. To be oppressed and afflicted and yet not open your mouth to defend yourself. He was led like a lamb to the slaughter. And as a sheep before her shearers is silent, so he did not open his mouth. By oppression and judgment, he was taken away. We'll make a note. That's Azazel. You can look up on our messages online and see and listen to Eric teach on that. It's wonderful. And who can speak of his descendants? For he was cut off from the land of the living. For the transgression of my people, he was stricken. He was assigned a grave with the wicked and with the rich in his death. Though he had done no violence, nor was any deceit in his mouth. Yet it was the Lord's will to crush him. If you ever battle with a thought or hear someone else say, why do bad things happen to good people? We're about to read exactly why. But right here it says it was the Lord's will to crush him. Uh, there's something unique that, that begins to surface here, and some of it's mentioned up above. I think another time in verse 5, the word crushed. But olives grow all over Israel. They grow all over the Mediterranean. You know, we hear Rachel Ray say all the time, E-V-O-O, <laughs> extra virgin olive oil. The way that this was grown, the way that it's produced, and the way that it's consumed echoes of, of biblical uh, prominence. You guys, uh, some of you sat in the time that Eric taught on how olive trees grow, that it has to be basically the harshest environment and soil that there is. That is prime pickings for an olive seed to take and bear root. 
Its roots go deep. Its trees grow up beautiful and shady. And they produce when under severe distress. When the olives are ripe, not too soon and not too late, but to get the perfect olive oil, it needs to be, the, the olives need to be harvested by hand. That's the best way. And within 24 hours, begin to be pressed. Now, the first pressing produces the finest of extra virgin olive oils. In fact, a lot of olive oils that are a little bit cheaper than most on the shelf have been chemically treated and added to to make them qualify technically in a chemist type way to be extra virgin olive oil. But the ones that cost 40 or 50 bucks up at the very top shelf, those are the true ones that are pure first press olive oil. Their acidity is very, very low. Uh, their oil is very clear. And they are full of flavor, depending on the soil that they were grown in. But this is the, the oil that God commanded that was to be used by the priest to make anointing oil and also the ones to be burned inside the temple area. A lot of times with our lives, the first pressing, when we're, we're doing something for Jesus, whatever it may be, it's hard, but it's like, wow, I felt God's anointing move through me and out of me. It was beautiful. It was awesome. Ooh, man, I'm so glad to be used by God. I suffered a little bit, and it was great. Hint, hint, there's two more to come. <laughs> the second pressing would happen again. Now, this produces what they call virgin olive oil. Its acidity is a little bit higher, not as much of the true olive flavor or the flavors of the soil. It's got a few bits of the flesh of the olive inside of it. And some water, something that's it waters down the value of the oil. It dilutes it. So what about that time you came to church and you prophesied, you gave a word in tongues, or you went and witnessed to somebody, and it was powerful, it was awesome. You were nervous, so they were kind of persecuting you a little bit, but you made it through, and God did something great. You got home, and over something small, just lost it. There's that second pressing. A oh. little bit more flesh in what's being squeezed out of you. A little less flavor of what God truly wants. And a delusion, a diluted version of what happened before. Not as useful. Well then, what about that, that next time when the weight of the world is upon your shoulders and you really feel like you cannot be crushed anymore? where there's nothing left in you to give but just the very weaknesses that you have. Lord, all I can give you is my fear. All I can give you is my frustration. All I can give you is this weight on my shoulders. There is no more joy left. There is no more strength left. There is no more of me left to be squeezed out. What I mean by me is the good me. What begins to ooze out is what is not useful. Fear is not useful. Anger is not useful. But when I begin to be squeezed that third time and I open and submit to the Lord, He's able to squeeze everything I am out of who I am, the weaknesses and all, and still use it. That third pressing of oil is seen as, really they don't even call it olive oil. It's a totally different name but it is saturated with water. It is filled with pulp and flesh inside of it. And it has to be filtered. That water has to be separated from it in order to do anything with it. But just like Jesus changed the water into wine and made something that wasn't useful for the party into something that was not just useful, but something extravagant and beautiful, the best choice of wine at that wedding in Canaan, the same thing he does with you. He takes you, your imperfections, your weaknesses, and he squeezes you one time. Yeah, good stuff comes out. Second time, not so good. Third time, nobody wants to look. 
And He will take that if you submit to Him and use it for His purpose. Now, what's left over this flesh of the olive is ground up into a pulp and used to smear as some forms of uh, medicine. Uh, some of it's used as just uh, an oil to burn, not for cooking or for the temple, but just like to light, to start fires. Everything that an olive is and has is to be consumed in some form or fashion. Therefore, everything that who you are and what Jesus is trying to make you is so that you can be set apart for his use because he wants to consume you. He wants to squeeze you. It's the Lord's will to press you because he needs you to get out of the way so that he can use his power working through you and coming out. So is it God's will for bad things to happen to good people? Yes. Because what the difference between somebody who loves Jesus and trusts him through a bad time and someone who doesn't is that the outcome, in the end, God will work it to your benefit. In the end, God will make it bless you and benefit not just you, but all those around you. How, how tragic could it seem when God tells Abraham, take your son, your promised son, go up and sacrifice him on this mountain. I didn't see recorded any you know, murmuring like Israel did in the desert. I didn't see any arguing back and forth with God. He closed his mouth and he obeyed. And he took everything, all of his hopes, all of his dreams, all of his aspirations, laid them at the feet of his king, raised up the knife, and God stopped them. But in his heart, it was already done. And because of that full, the, his ability and desire to be fully pressed and say, whatever you want, Jesus, I'll go to that third press. God credited unto him as righteousness, as being in right standing with God. When I begin to take myself out of God's pressing and provide a covered shelter of protection for my life, I begin to remove myself from being used by God. I take myself away from being set apart. Let's go to James 1. Now, before we read verse or read in James. When someone is happy or someone is joyous, what's, what does their face look like? Show me. They're happy. We would say their face is radiant, right? It's full of light or full of life. Okay, keep that in mind as we read verse 2. Consider it pure joy. My brothers, whenever you face trials of many kinds, this is something I've, I've got to have just branded and, and seared inside my heart and my brain. I have to consider it pure joy when I face trials of many kinds. They hurt. They hurt. They offend. They push on every weakness in me that I don't want touch. I've been trying to protect for years. But they have to be. And just like that olive oil, that first pressing, I have to consider that these trials are trying to get out of me something that is pure light. Something that can be burned before the Lord and not be a waste, not be of low value. But I have to consider it as something that is pure radiance of Him. Because you know that the testing of your faith develops perseverance. Perseverance must finish its work so that you may be mature and complete, not lacking anything. 
That's just like my one-year-old learning how to walk. I have to let her persevere so that she can finally get to the point where at three or two years old, she can escape from me and run out of sight in a flash. If any of you lacks wisdom, he should ask God, who gives generously to all without finding fault, and it will be given to him. But when he asks, he must believe and not doubt, because he who doubts is like a wave of the sea, blown and tossed by the wind. Um, skip down to verse 12. Blessed is the man who perseveres under trial, because when he has stood the test, he will receive the crown of life that God has promised to those that love him. Being set apart for his use means also being set apart for his suffering, for his pressing. And when it's said and done, when you've stood the test of being squeezed and poked and prodded by God, he finally has something to use. And you will receive the crown of life that God has promised to those who love him. Do you all love him? Yes. yes. Do y'all love suffering? No. <laughs> oh, how do we answer? <laughs> answer like this. I love suffering. <laughs> Stand to your feet. So let's review one more time. Jesus has the Passover lamb has delivered us from death. He's removing sin out of our life. He has given us hope in his resurrection and has put his spirit on us and in us to be his representative so that we can be set apart for his use. Bob Cook, you are set apart for his use. Amen. Kelsey Dine, you are set apart Amen. for his Amen. Anytime you feel your own rising up to compete with that, push it down. Let his word pierce what challenges how God is trying to set you apart for his use. C.J. Brewer, you are set apart for his use. Amen? Amen. Amen. Uh, join the hands of the people next to you. Brother John, away from the back, brother. Pray for us. Father God, thank you for bringing us all here today, Lord. Yes. And we thank you for setting us apart, Lord. We, we thank you for the trials that um, have been placed upon us, Lord, so that we may endure them and um, be set apart for your use, Lord. We thank you for these opportunities, and we bless your name, Jesus. As we go out um, in, in the day, we ask for the opportunities um, for us to show the world your life. In your name we pray. Amen. 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 Y'all have a blessed day.